Season 2, Episode 7 of the Birdie Knife Podcast. My name is Adam and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. In this episode, we'll be talking all about one of the biggest birding days on the birding calendar, BirdLife South Africa's Birding Big Day. I'll be chatting to two guests in this episode. First, I'll interview Etienne Marais, who was the leader of the Raiders of the Lost Ark team which was the first birding big day team to pass the 300 mark barrier for the day. He will give us lots of practical tips on how those participating in the day can see more birds. I will then have a chat to Ernst Retief from BirdLife South Africa, who will tell us all about the day and how to register and participate. If you are coming on Flock to Marion from either South Africa or somewhere international and are looking for binoculars, scopes or any of the Southern African field guides, Either visit our online store, the link is in the show notes, or drop us an email on info at thebirdingknife.com. We'll do everything we can to get you the best prices around, as well as ensuring that they are in your hands before you board the ship. So, let's get into today's episode. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser Bird Logging app, Spot. Plot. Play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other. Amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously where to find amazing birds. Check out our website at www.thebirdinglife.com, our YouTube channel, our various social media platforms, as well as the other podcasts we host. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to help others find the show. So let us get into this week's episode of the Birding Life Podcast. Firstly, um, Etienne, welcome to the Birding Life Podcast. I've wanted to have you for a long time. I chatted to you a little bit before when we were preparing about how you, you have really impacted my birding journey. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. So before we get into today's episode, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also some of the birding big days that you've been a part of? Yeah, sure. Look, I've been a birder for a long, long time, um, actually since I was a kid, which is a long time ago. I'm, I'm 59 and I've been birding since I was seven. Um, and I've been a guide, professional guide uh, for the last 20 years. Um, for many years under the under the banner of indicator birding, uh, running tours mainly around Southern Africa, locally, and then also a lot of, um, let's say, specialist weekends on warblers, raptors, LBJs, and the like. Um, and in terms of birding big day, I think it really grabbed me in about 1992 as something that um, that I thought, uh, you know, myself and, and a couple of friends could do really well at. And it became an obsession for quite a few years. Uh, let's say, I think it was about 12 or 13 years of obsession where the main thing occupying one's mind was how to get a bigger total on Birding Big Day. Um, and so we started off in 92, um, birding all, all in the wider Gauteng area. Uh, first couple of years around Barakalalo, Falkup Dam, you know, out to the west and northwest of Johannesburg. 
um, with totals, um, you know, around 220, I think, to start off with. So that's that's a bit of background. So, so in other words, you're very well qualified to do this episode, and ah, it's great to have you. So in today's episode, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about some practical things that teams that are participating in birding big day can can do to see to see more birds and i know you were speaking a little bit before about teams that have applied this and you were saying that some of the teams that have applied this have seen 15 to 20 new species which is really fantastic yeah look i think i think if you apply the whole thing you'll get a lot more than that you know i think it really depends on what the what the baseline is you know what's your level of preparation what's your level of level of professionalism what's your level of military precision um you know before starting. But I think my claim to fame is is that in 2005, we were the first team to get over 300 species in the 24-hour period. Um, and that at that time, that was like the four-minute mile because no one had actually come close. Um, and what I did after that was produce uh, an article or a, or a short uh, paper, I suppose you could call it. It's really just a two-page uh, document, which sets out some of the, some of the key things that we did to, to increase the total, to increase the productivity, to get more birds. And from what I saw from the Birding Big Day scores uh, after 2005, you saw a, a jump right across the board by many, many teams because that was made publicly available. I think it's been sort of lost over, over the years, perhaps, and there's a lot of new people have come into Birding Big Day and are approaching it for the first time or uh, you know, having having done it for the first time only in, only relatively recently, so they can certainly benefit from some of the insights from 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 those high scores. So yeah, so let's start right at the beginning. Team selection. What are some things that people should consider when putting together a team for Birding Big Day? Well, I think the most obvious thing is going to be your level of skill, how well people uh, can spot birds, and particularly the identification of birds by sound. Because on any birding big day, for your top teams, the biggest, uh, the biggest sort of, let's say, critical factor in getting a lot of birds is can you identify the sounds around you? Typically, a top team will identify a lot more birds by sound than by, by, by sight. So the knowledge of bird calls of your area is absolutely critical. But apart from just general birding skills, knowledge of bird calls, knowledge of bird ID, there's a thing, I think, um, if I can put it this way, the team needs to gel and they need to have a common understanding and they need to be able to work together. And from talking to many, many people over the years, unfortunately, Birding Big Day, uh, Birding Big Day experiences can also break friendships because people get quite irritated with each other if they don't uh, follow, you know, uh, if, if your friend doesn't kind of do what you expect them to do. So it's very important that you have a common understanding Probably that you're at a common level, uh, that you don't have one person that's exceptionally, you know, thinks thinks they're far better than everybody else, because otherwise you're going to get some sort of tension emerging. Um, after all, the main purpose of Birding Big Day is to have fun. Um, but I think if you go to another level, if you go to a level up from that, you're actually looking at complementary skills. So in our case, we had people very good on, on, on hearing and we had we chose someone who had an exceptionally good ability to spot birds in the sky, what I call sky eyes. You know, some birders just can pick up things at a distance, and we're all looking at up at the sky and saying, "Where, where?" And he's already saying, "Well, he thinks it's a black-chested snake eagle," and we haven't even seen a speck. 
So if you've got someone like that to pick up the birds in the sky and you have someone who's incredibly good on picking up odd sounds, you can always coach the rest of the team to get, get up to speed and find those birds afterwards. So that's yeah, just some thoughts on, on team selection. And obviously it's important to make sure that the team have the same objectives because there's obviously teams that do this just for the fun of it and just want to take a really chilled, relaxed day where other teams are are going all out. And I think if you, like you were rightly saying, if you have teams of people that have different objectives, there's, there's probably going to be a bit of conflict somewhere in the day. Yeah, no, I think the most common thing that happens is that some people take it as much more of a fun event and they want to stop at some stage and have some lunch and have a beer and that doesn't fit in with, with, with somebody in the team who's thinking, what, we can't stop for a beer? I mean, we've got to get more birds. It's going to slow us down. Let's get going. And so that kind of tension can emerge if, if, if everyone's not on the same um, page. So one of the most important things when it comes to your Birding Big Day experience is planning the route you're going you're gonna to take. Um, how, what are some practical things that people can do when it comes to putting together a route? Yeah, well, it might be a bit late for this year uh, to start thinking about a route now because we've only got, um, what, 10 days to go or nine days. Um, so, But basically, I think if you start at the most fundamental level, uh, you've got an area. You've got a radius of 100 kilometers for, the, for the, the main open category. And the question is, what are the habitats in that area and how best can you get to them? So, so I would I would start from the bottom up, um, and I think our, our sort of approach was to say, what are the total number of bird species that occur in this in this area, and how we how can we get to most of them? In other words, how can we plan the day so that we get hit habitats that have got the widest range of, of species possible? And and there are a lot of there are a lot of contributory factors to your route. I think talking to people, for example, on the escarpment, um, Pumalanga escarpment over the years, they've got fantastic habitats within 100 kilometers. But because of the escarpment, the roads are not necessarily quick and, and easy, so it's difficult to get around. Um, so your route's got to be, you've, you've got to think it through in terms of, you know, getting access to the, the key habitats in, in, the, in the minimum amount of time. Um, but then also I think um, the question of sequence, where do you start? Um, so the, 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 I think the traditional or let's say the most common approach is to think let's start where the best dawn chorus is and where we can get the most birds in the early morning. But that can actually be the wrong approach. Um, I think you'll find certainly in the high felt and many other, other parts of the, the region that, for example, grassland birding tends to be uh, really good in the morning and decline rapidly in the afternoon, especially if you have wind, whereas your bush felt or forest birding can can be less affected by time of day. And so places like, like wetlands, uh, wetland sites, dams, where there's lots of water birds, can be really possibly best done when the other sites are really slow, such, such as in the heat of the day. So in our approach, it would have been doing grassland habitats first, and then planning to get to your big waterbird sites in the heat of the day, uh, middle of the afternoon or uh, late morning, when things kind of slow down, often referred to as the midnight hour. And then trying to get back to some good uh, bushveld, woodland, forest birding in the afternoon, um, you know, as, as things pick up again. 
You know, obviously, all of this is dependent on whether and whether you just can't plan around. But one thing we learned on the high felt was that very often you would have uh, thunderstorms in the afternoon. So you would try and kind of figure out how you can, let's say, take the least negative knock from thunderstorms in terms of what habitat you're in. So those are just some of the thoughts on, on planning the route. Um, you know, but if I can say, I think for the top teams, people should know that top teams that, that get 300 uh, in that sort of area have planned these routes over probably many years and many recce, what we would call recce trips, where they literally go and practice the whole route from start to finish, see how it all works, see which sites work at what times, and they might have even tried doing more than one recce and then varying the actual order in which you visit the sites to see which one works better. So, so, so what I'm what I'm I, what I'm trying to put across, I think, for people that wonder how how on earth teams get 300, is that they get they get very high scores by putting incredibly amount incredible amount of planning, research, and preparation, and then allying that to kind of military discipline. You know, like <laughs> go go go. We've got 30 seconds left in the site. What are we going to get? Then we're out of here. I think that's another point you're gonna you're gonna come to. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in there, but you touched on something in there which, honestly, and I said this beforehand, the, you made a statement on a webinar you did for um, Learn the Birds, and it really is, it's not just changed my approach to birding big day, but I think it's changed my approaching to birding, and you said the statement, you said chase habitat, not birds. Talk us through that that idea. Yeah, look, I think I think, and this applies to to even birding trips where you're trying to get lifers. Um, to some extent, you know, I've just been on a trip to Namibia, and you look at a lot of the birds on your target list are actually found generically in habitat. So if you find the right habitat, you'll find the birds. And I think the mistake a lot of birding big day teams have made or will make is they've got a bird list, and then they've got birds they want to see because. Um, you know, they're great birds or, you know, they, they're specific specials that people like, etc. And they tend to spend too much time and effort focusing on the individual birds. Like we've got a stakeout for an African broadbill, so let's go to the stakeout and find the African broadbill. Instead of birding the habitat and, and picking focusing on all the other species that you can get in that habitat. So I think those, those of us who are keen atlases will also know you know, when you atlas, you've got a pentad. And if you atlas the pentad systematically and you and you spend time in each of the key habitat types, you'll end up with a much bigger list than if you go out and you think, okay, let's get the target, the melodious lark, then we're going to look for the vambo sparrow, then we're going to look for that bird, we're going to look for that bird, etc. And And basically, it's a principle of birding that if you bird by habitat and you understand the different habitats that you have and you focus – spending optimal time, quality time with all your attention focused on birding, what, I, what, what some people just call ordinary birding, whereby you go into an habitat, you keep your mind open, your eyes open, your ears open, and you're looking for anything in that habitat. Uh, that, that will give you a bigger list. So one of the challenges or one of the problems of looking for specific birds, you know, one at a time, is that you tend to close your mind your eyes and your ears a little bit, it's, it's sort of an automatic subconscious thing, to what are the possibilities there are in that habitat. 
Whereas if you're burning the habitat and not the individual species, it's almost as if your mind is then more open, your attention is more open, and you tend to just record more, even if they're surprises. You're more open to surprises. If you're looking for just one bird, you tend to close your your consciousness down a little bit and think of only that bird and not all the possibilities in an area. So I think that's, you know, it's a fundamental principle that you should apply. So, you know, to go back to your route, your route should be essentially how to get to all the habitats and optimize the time in each. That'll give you the biggest list. So that probably like lends itself again, because obviously a lot of people might have a route and there might be a whole lot of places that they like. And I think the question they have to look at and say, well, there's all these places they'd like, but are they covering enough habitats? And I think if they're not covering enough habitat, they need to you know, look for other places within that, that area to make sure that, that they are you know, covering a forest, for example, uh, uh, somewhere where they can get water birds, somewhere where they can get grass, uh, grass birds. I mean, I was speaking to you before this, and we, one of our weaknesses last year, we missed our target. And one of the reasons why we didn't, we, we didn't cover any, we didn't try and get any, any birds on the beach or seabirds. And I think it's trying to factor those in as, as you plan your day. Yeah, yeah, and I think the the starting point in the planning to go right back is to get a, you know, from Roberts or from Sabap to get a complete list of what's in your area, you know, and then to work through and think, will we be in habitat to find all these birds? And if you're in habitat, we can literally find all the birds in your area. And normally in South Africa and in all the good birding areas, you're talking about any particular area of 100K is going to have 400 odd species or even more potential. Um, what are the habitats you're missing on your on your trip and on your on your route? And you know, then then to get down to the mapping to get to the aerial, uh, you know, the satellite imagery you can get on Google Earth, and to look at Sabap data um, wherever, and and you know, to read up and find out from local birders if there are hotspots you don't know about. There's so many elements of research that you can do to try and find uh, bits and pieces of good habitat which you don't know about. Uh, you know, before. So you spoke about all this planning you do beforehand, you know, when you would have done Birding Big Day, what court, what kind of information would have you had on on hand? Would have you, would have you had bird lists with you or what, what type of thing would you carry with you? Yeah, I don't think we took it with us. I think what we had, uh, you know, in terms of the actual Birding Big Day, there was lots of planning, which was which was desk, it's like desktop research where you sit down with the SABAP data. In our case, it was the old atlas. You know, all your knowledge you have of the area, whether it's from bird club outings, from other birders, from uh, from from different apps, Roberts, you know, generates lists for areas. And then, you know, looking at, at your route when you drive along it, if you're going to do just a prep, you know, somewhere along the line, you have to do at least just drive the route and check it out. And then while you're going along, what's over there? What's on this farm? Is there a forest over there you can see but we don't have access to? Go knock on the on the farmer's door and say, well, you know, can we come and have a look at your place and see if there's a patch of forest or a nice bit of wetland that, that we can't access, that's something different. So, um, but but from an information point of view, I think SABAP these days is incredibly useful. And, you know, I would even go so far as to say uh, that you, if you if you look on the SABAP data, database and you see the birds, uh, you can actually go to the pentads and you can see who the people are 
who've, who've actually collected that data and you might find out who the other birders are who know the area and you can ask them. You know, good old, good old fashioned um, networking with birders who know the area, that's often very valuable. So once you've locked the order in, one of the parts that I find quite tricky is the time management on the day because you kind of sit there and you have to put together this whole spreadsheet of how long you're going to stay in certain places. You're going to talk about the travel, the traveling distance between them. What are some what are some advice you can give us to effectively plan your your timing for the day? Well, I would I would say obviously the more birds you can get in an area, the more time you want to to allocate. Uh, but at the same time, think about the different habitats. You might find that certain habitats are slower. You know, for example, normally grassland is slower in terms of accumulation of species totals than than say bushveld or or um, uh, forest habitats. Um, well, okay, it depends on the forest. Now, some forests are quite slow and you don't get a lot of species, but the species you get, uh, you know, are critical. But what, what we did in, in terms of preparing for 2005 was, in fact, to, to do recce trips, to literally go to the site and say, right, let's see what we can get here in half an hour. And then we'd bird for half an hour, we'd keep a complete list of everything we recorded. Then we'd go we'd either extend the time for another half an hour or we'd go, you know, on another recce, we'd give it an hour. So you start getting a sense of, well, what's the value of spending more time in a particular habitat? And and not the value in terms of the birds recorded at that site, but the value in terms of the additions to the overall day list. So it's no good saying that site, site B, it's a nice little farm patch of woodland, is great because we spend two hours there with a lot of birds. But the question is, how many of those birds are unique uh, on your whole uh, whole uh, route? So if they're all the same as other sites, it's not uh, not a valuable site. The value of a site is based on how many unique birds do we add, which are which are basically birds that you won't get anywhere else along the route. So my spreadsheet basically had. Um, you know, a column indicating the uniqueness or the value of a, of a bird. In other words, certain birds you can only get at certain sites, and those are the most important ones. And it's really just a question of going there, look, if you've got the time to do the reconnaissance, going there and, and seeing how long it takes to reliably record those birds, and then you can you can plan around that. Now, most, most teams who are not sort of very fanatical or very professional people have working lives, they've got jobs, so you've got to do a bit of thumb suck, you know, uh, when it comes to this. But you can kind of figure out, look, we're going to a little forest patch. We need three birds. Uh, from what, what we know, even if you haven't been there often, uh, you're probably going to get them on call fairly quickly. So let's give it 15 minutes and, and you kind of plan on that. Um, because, because most teams don't have the luxury of doing repeated um, trial runs <laughs> and testing all of this out. Um, but I think your your top teams have done the same or similar routes for many years and repeatedly, and they've got a good, a much better sense of how long they're going to spend at each point. And then, um, yeah, I think I think that's that's the best I can advise. There's no there's no sort of, I wouldn't say there's any foolproof method of of working it out. It's really just based on on experience and based on how many birds there are at each site and how hard they are to find. So one thing that makes 
uh, birding big day different to a lot of other birding experiences is, is it's actually a team a team it's a team event um, and like any other let's use the word team sport there's the management of the different people that make up the team so what are some um, what is some advice you can give us to effectively manage the team during the day also to I think most importantly to make sure that everybody in the team is being used yes I think I think that's very fundamental, and I think the most important first point is just a question of motivation. When you do birding big day, you should be fired up, and you almost need like a cheerleader or someone in the team who takes responsibility for, yeah, guys, go. We, 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 we're we doing well. We're doing well. Let's go. You know, we're going to get more birds at the next site. Let's move it. You know, a kind of just motivational talk along the, along the, the, the whole day. Um, I think a lot of teams – um, would struggle with with just um, physical endurance. You know, I think the, the the sort of let's say standard perception of burning big days. It's a crazy day where you start really really early without having much sleep, and you just bird nonstop. You know, all day long, and therefore motivation is very important. The second thing that's very important, and maybe we can come back to that, is just the question of, you know, looking after the the, 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 the hydration and the nutrition and all that. But then I think uh, the most, for me, the most fundamental shift that we had was when we when we realized that what you've actually got to manage is attention. In other words, where are the eyes and the ears looking? How are you focusing on your environment? And I coined the phrase 360-degree birding at all times. So if you if you go out birding and you go to a club meeting, you know, there's a bird club or a birding group, and you just see how they bird, what you'll find is everybody's walking, they stop, they tend to all look in one direction, maybe the, the leader or the most experienced bird is pointing something out. And people will stand and they will literally all look in, in one direction for five, ten minutes at a time, and no one will look the other way. They won't look to the right, to the left, or behind them at all. Everyone is literally looking at a tree where there's something interesting. And that's a kind of – that's the way we be bird as a community, as as a group. You know, birding is a very sociable thing, and birding groups go out, clubs or friends or whatever, and they all tend to look in the same direction. And I think, for me, the most fundamental shift we had is when, 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 when we realized – uh, that that's actually the worst way to bird, that what you need to do is to try and get everybody to look in different directions so that you cover all around your, in, you know, in, in all directions, both hearing and sound. So the simplest, the simplest thing we did with a team of four, we used a double cab bucky as our vehicle and we used the, the vehicle as an orientation. So 12 o'clock was straight in front of the vehicle, um, three to the right, nine to the left, six was behind. And then each team member had a quadrant. So they had one quarter of the 360 degrees allocated to them for the entire day, and that was their quadrant. They would listen in that direction and they would watch in that. It took some getting used to, but we did a couple of trial runs. People got used to the idea of focusing on those 90 degrees only, looking there, watching there, listening there. And then, of course, if you get a bird that's new and that's come to another point of how important it is that you keep track of what you've seen and what you haven't seen. You then can call the other team members. You can say, I've got a buzzard uh, on the right, and you point it out, and everybody looks, and then when's one, one they've confirmed, you must have like a protocol. Confirmed, yes, I've got it, 
Number two, number three, when you've got three out of four, that's the bird. You've got enough confirmation to ticket as a team. Then you just go back to your post, which is looking at your 90 degrees immediately. So we would have a situation like just, just to use the example, we'd pick up a snake eagle in the one, one to the 12 to three quadrant. And the, the birder in that quadrant would say, snake eagle, point it out. Birder one would say, got it. And he would immediately, he wouldn't wait for the others to confirm. He'd say, confirmed, and he would go back to his quadrant. And what we found is that that increased the number of flybys, fly pasts, um, and things flying over, particularly on the raptor's side, dramatically if you do that. Um, whereas if you don't do that, you just miss so many things going past. And I think even on the sound aspect, you know, if you're, if you're looking in your direction, you tend to hear more stuff in front of you um, and, and, and you're focusing in that area. Uh, you just you just pick up more things all, all around. So that's that's the most fundamental aspect of of managing the attention uh, of the whole team. So you spoke earlier about the importance of staying mentally alert, and from the again that learn the birds uh, webinar, you spoke there about um, sleep patterns and the importance of sleeping properly before it's and how to manage that, as well as. Um, diet, which is very interesting because I know a lot of guys just when we do Burning Big Day, we just get a whole lot of junk food and we think we're going to do well through the day. But you've got a little bit of a different approach. So talk us through that. Um, yes. Well, on the sleep side, when we did our Burning Big Day in 2005, by that time I'd done a couple and I you know, got used to how exhausted one gets. And how, you know, I think even if you think you, you, you're tough, and we've all bulletproof and you keep on birding and all of that. What you find is the level of attention wanes, the level of sharpness wanes. So you're not picking up those distant calls and you're not sharp on those far flybys because you kind of, with exhaustion, you become a bit doff. Even if you're awake and you're going through the motions, you, you tend to miss a lot more than if you're sharp and fresh. So what I did uh, with my teams uh, in, in, you know, from 2000 onwards was we actually birded a shorter period of time. We didn't bird 24 hours on the basis that two or three hours extra sleep uh, was actually worth more than, than two or three or four night birds that you might pick up by birding from midnight to, you know, to one in the morning because you might get one or two more species in that period. But you actually get more by being more alert for the rest of the day. So we, we basically planned in a 24-hour period for only 21-hour birding big day. So we basically put three hours aside for – for extra sleeping. That's on the sleep side. And then the other thing we did was we started to shift our body clocks. So our team members had instructions to start going to bed at 8 o'clock for the week before we started because the sleep pattern, you know, is kind of a, a biological thing. And if you're used to going to bed at 11 and then all of a sudden on birding big day, you've got to go to bed at 8 because you're going to get up at midnight, it just doesn't work uh, because you haven't shifted your biological clock. So you've got to actually – Get used to it. I don't know how well we did that because it's always tremendous discipline required. And then on the nutrition side, I think, uh, to be honest, in all the years that I did Birding Big Day, we had one of the wives or the girlfriends pack a whole box of sandwiches and we'd have energy bars and we'd have Coca-Cola and we'd have, as you say, junk food. And we just basically, we were, we were of the opinion that the right way to do it is just to kind of eat and snack the whole day to keep your energy levels up. So I've been birding for a long, long time, and I've done lots of very, very strenuous and exhausting long trips, you know, up to three weeks where you're birding from three in the morning till 11 at night, and you're hardly getting any sleep. 
and you know a lot of reading and research and i come to the conclusion that the best way to really keep your energy levels going is actually to eat less so i have i've adopted something called intermittent fasting there's lots of literature on the internet about it so that's basically whereby if i'm doing a burning tour or hardcore burning i'll eat once a day only one meal and black coffee and i find that the energy levels are better i've got more endurance and better attention clearer brain if i do that now look that's a whole a whole another debate and a lot of people will say this is absolute nonsense you can't maintain energy levels if you're not eating all day but you know so it's a whole another it's a, it's for another webinar or another podcast i think uh, to talk about that but there's lots of research out there and my 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 approach is actually uh, that you can do you have more energy if you eat less and you but your body's got to get used to it you can't just adopt this on birding big day it's something you have to adopt as a lifestyle but i'm finding at the ripe old age of 59 that i've got more energy to bird long hours in very tough conditions than i had when i was younger and i think it's because of the the nutrition side mainly so that's basically yeah that's 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 my perspective so what I'm always interested in when it comes to birding big day is not always the birds you get to see, but the birds that you actually dip on. I know two years ago, the bird that we didn't get to see was a southern black flycatch, and we looked all over for this bird, and we did not get one. Crazy. So just what are a few over the years, what are a few of the birds that you've dipped on? No, we have ridiculous dips. I mean, when we got when we got three hundred and two in two thousand and five, we dipped on crazy things like Kitlet's Plovet and Combra Dam. I mean, it seems unbelievable. We didn't get a we didn't get a, a red bull hornbill for the day, and we didn't get a, a bronze mannequin. You know, and they sort of birds you would really think. Oh, oh. and we have. We, I think we had a list of about eleven things that we didn't get. And I mean, I remember another year we had incredibly good total, and we never got a black collared barbet in the bushveld, which was just bizarre. And we might have just missed it. You know, it might have been calling there, but it was one of those moments where we weren't managing our attention, you know, and the mind was on other stuff and we were looking at other stuff. But, I mean, I think the bottom line is, and what I would advise is, don't worry about the dips. Don't get obsessed about thinking late in the day, you know, we haven't got this, let's go look for it. Rather just stick to your plan. Stick to your plan because you'll always get good birds, you'll get uncommon birds in the place of those stupid dips that 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 you have to just live with um you know just don't worry about it don't don't let's let's put it this way don't sweat that small stuff of what you've missed rather celebrate what you've seen stick to your plan stick to your habitats and you will get a good total i think that's the bottom line and i think just as on a as we we end off i think the one thing is for anyone that has listened and they might feel yo i haven't even started planning for birding big day this year you know just take part and have a lot of fun you know if you learn something from this episode like i said there's a lot of advice in this episode that that doesn't just apply to birding big day i think it applies even beyond and things you can apply just into your your normal your normal birding but for those that haven't registered um straight after the the little ad break um, we're going to be having a chat to um, Ernst from BirdLife South Africa, and he'll be telling you all about how you can register and participate in Birding Big Day. So stay tuned to that, and you can hear how that's going to how to how to be a part of Birding Big Day. But lastly, before we let you go, it's been an f- absolutely fantastic chat, and I can't wait to have you on again. Um, you do some really amazing tours, and I'd like to hear some of the destinations you've been to. But 
last thing I want to ask is this is how can people book to do birding tours with you? Yeah, I'm I'm a much better birder than marketer. <laughs> but um the, the easiest thing is just to send me an email, uh Etienne Birding, that's one word. Uh, so it's Etienne one T two Ns, Etienne Birding at gmail.com. Um, and just 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 ask for to be put on my mailing list and for the program of events, and then I'll put you on. I've also got a WhatsApp group, you know, just for short short um, notice things. There's often things that come up, exciting stuff, you know, like some of the twitches this year. We had lots of great twitch twitching trips down to the Eastern Cape, down to the Cape to look for the rarities. And then I've got a schedule of of longer trips. You know, Mozambique is my favourite. I do Namibia regularly. Um, and Zimbabwe also, and then further afield as well, places like Uganda and planning something in India, etc. Um, but Adam, if I could just just also, you know, just to go back to to Birding Big Day and just say, Birding Big Day is the most for many people, and for me, for many many years, it was just literally the most exciting birding day of the year. And if I can put it this way, it's the one day you have no other constraints you say we're not going to worry about work messages we're not going to worry about other people in our lives we're not going to worry about our family we're literally going to have what can only be described as an orgy of birding for the whole day and i can remember so clearly with birding big day that it was something you so looked forward to it was so exciting that you were going to do this whole day of all-out birding that it's you couldn't sleep sort of not even the night before, a few days before you couldn't sleep properly. <laughs> so just get out there and really enjoy it. It's a fantastic day. And good luck to everyone. I hope I hope it's a wonderful day and 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 great. I think congratulations to BirdLife for keeping it going after all these years. It's a fantastic event. Oh, that'll be a fantastic episode title. Bird, birding Big Day, an orgy of birding. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Etienne, it's been a lot of fun to chat to you. Thanks for being on the show. Um, I know you've just got back from tours and I really appreciate you making the time. We've done this between load shedding and everything, but it's been so cool to chat to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Adam. See you around and, and enjoy birding big day. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We really hope you are enjoying the episode. If you would like to support us and help grow the show, please, can we ask that you do two things? Firstly, please share the show on your favorite social media channel. Tell us why you enjoy the show and be sure to tag us in the post. This is one of the best ways to help get the word out about the podcast and bring more exposure to the guests that are featured and the conservation issues that are covered. Secondly, to help us cover the costs and to improve the quality of the show, please can you consider buying us a virtual coffee or two? This is a quick, safe and easy way to contribute to the show. You will find a link for this in the notes of the show. Okay, Ernst, back on to the Burn Life podcast. Welcome again. Thank you very much, Adam. Great to be here. So next week, Saturday, is Birding Big Day. It's one of the biggest days in South African birding. So can you tell us a little bit about Birding Day, Birding Big Day first and foremost, and also how the people that participate can make a contribution to conservation? Yes, so Birding Big Day is a day rich in history. It will be the 37th year that we will be running Birding Big Day. So it started in the early 1980s. And um, it's amazing that people that have um, participated in all of them, and we had a heard of another person who um, was doing her 25th Birding Big Day. 
Um, so Bird Invicta is a day that's really important to BirdLife of Africa as it's a day that we can um, tell the whole world um, about the wonderful bird diversity we have in South Africa, the 800 plus species we have in this country. We can tell people about the wonderful hobby of birding, that it's great to be outdoors with friends and family and um, to watch the, the beautiful birds that we have. And it's also a great day that we can collect, um, for example, data for the Southern African Bird Atlas Project. So in terms of uh, contribution to conservation, it is for me a day that we you know, can, t- can tell the world and, and tell uh, um, the rest of South Africa about the bird diversity we have in this country, how privileged we are. And also, you know, how important is that we work hard to conserve these species. But also that, you know, there's this opportunity um, to collect data for the Southern African Bird Atlas Project, for example, and that we can use this data to conserve the species. So, yes, there's these various ways that we contribute to birding big day through, uh, through uh, to conservation through birding big day. For those who have never um, taken part before, can you tell people how to participate in the day? Yes, so very quickly and very easy. So Birding Big Day this year will be held on the 27th of November. It's usually the last Saturday of November. And it's very simple. You create a team. A team can consist of up to four people, also more, but that is in a more informal category. So we do have school groups and clubs and even church groups and so on that participate in Birding Big Day. But usually um, we have teams of up to four members, between two and four usually, although we also allow people, uh, a team of only one member to participate. So you create a team of friends and family, you give your team a name, and then you select an area where you want to bird. So the rules of birding big day say that you can bird for 24-hour periods, so basically from 12 in the morning till 12 in the evening. Um, in an area from a center point, uh, from that center point uh, radius of 50 kilometers or five kilometers, and we will talk a little bit more about that just now. The standard c- category is an area of f- a radius of 50 kilometers, so that's 100 kilometers from one point of the circle to the other, and so it's quite a large area that you can go and bird um, for that 24-hour period. And the idea is to lock as many species as you can see or hear on the day, and really try and, and build an extensive list as possible. And what we ask um, people participating is if they're keen to lock this data on the mobile app BirdLasser, or people can just write um, a list on paper or um, enter it into something like Microsoft Excel and email the list to us. So it is actually very easy. Um, you create a team, you give your t- team a name, you select an area that you want to go and bird, area with which you know maybe know well and that you think you can um, you know create uh, or see a lot of species such an area should have um, you know a variety of habitats like water and grasslands or forests the more variety in habitats the larger your species list will be and just go out and bird on the day and create a, a list as large as possible and what i want to say here is that we have teams that really try and break provincial and national records and they bird and um you know, spend a lot of effort and time to, to um, you know, bird all 24 hours. But for other people, it is just a fun event to, um, you know, to create their own list, compete with friends and family or just be out of nature. And they might only bird for three or four hours. And that is absolutely up to you, how you how, um, active you want to, to participate in birding big day. And I saw that there are different categories this year to last year. Can you tell us a little bit about these changes? 
Yes, so the standard category we had uh, in previous burning big days is the 50-kilometer radius category. So as I said um, just now, you select a point in any area within a 50-kilometer radius from that point, you can um, do a list. But we had a lot of people that ask us that they don't want to drive so far. They are quite keen to um, atlas, you know, to, to bird a smaller area. And also um, participants of the Southern African Bird Atlas Project maybe just want to do an atlas block or a pentad as it's called, which is about seven by eight kilometers wide. So we created a five kilometer radius category. So from a center point, anywhere from five kilometers from that center point, you can bird then for the 24, um, 24 hour period. And if you're an Atlas, for example, you can target one pentad or maybe even two pentads and try and build an extensive list as, as possible. And I must say, I'm pleasantly surprised. Usually take it um, some time before people um, buy into such a new idea or category, but I already received about 50 um, registrations. Um, for um, this category, and I'm sure um, many more people will register. So if you just want to build your local nature reserve or your local neighborhood or something like that, then you're more than welcome to register for this five-kilometer category. Okay, so people are listening and they might not have registered yet. How can they go about registering to take part? So that's also very easy. So you just go to the BirdLife website, birdlife.org.za, and you will just on the main page see there's a link to... um, the Birding Big Day page, and um, you can go to the Birding Big Day page, and there's all sorts of information about the event, all the rules, and so on. And then there's also a registration link. So it's a very easy form to fill in, just your basic postal information, the postal address. Then what's very important, if you want to participate in the bird class event, we ask that you add your team name. We will lock data on the day. Uh, what is your two members' names? And um, it will really not take you five minutes to complete this form. You then submit that form. I will receive that form, and I will then enter teams manually onto the Bird Lasser um, website. And Adam, maybe I can just explain you quickly how it works. So, if you lock your data on Bird Lasser while you're in the field on Birding Big Day, and you lock data on Bird Lasser, the data will sync automatically with the Bird Lasser database, and they will render your sightings to an online map. That's where all the teams have been registered. So if you participate in the 50-kilometer radius category, there will eventually be 200 or 300-plus teams registered on that website. The team name will be there. And as people lock data on the day, the species numbers and that they record will reflect next to the name. Or if you click on the team, the species that they've locked and where they've locked, you can actually see a map of those species. So what's really nice is on Birding Big Day is that it becomes like a sport event where you can see um, how many species each team have scored and you can see you know, we, um, you know how the teams are doing and so on. So it's really fun to um, lock the data on Bird Lasser. So I would really like to invite people, if you have not used Bird Lasser before, Go and download this free app where you can um, lock um, bird species. And if you have used BirdLast before and not participate in Bird in Big Day, please consider doing so. Register. Let me have your BirdLast contact details and so on. And I will enter you and you will see that it's great fun um, to participate in Bird in Big Day in this way. 
Ernst, I really appreciate your time. It's always too good to have a chat to you. For those who have maybe not used Bird Lasso, if they go on to the Birding Lives YouTube channel, there's a full tutorial there. Um, it's a very easy app to use. And yeah, it's one of my favorite apps on my phone. But Ernst, it's been good chatting to you. And yeah, looking forward to us participating and also just seeing the results of um, this year's Birding Big Day. Thank you. I also look forward to it. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books Online Store to help get all the best birding and nature books into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life Project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link either in the comment section of this podcast or our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Don't forget to follow The Birding Life on Twitter Instagram, and Facebook. We appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Bird Lasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a lifeless while playing your part in social conservation, as well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.